Grant was the general who basically won the war for uh, the North. Um, and the North went through a whole series of really bad generals, which is part of why the war went on, even though the North had a lot of advantages. Um, and ultimately, they end up with this guy, U.S. Grant, who um, he's very tough. And he he's often nicknamed Unconditional Surrender Grant because he wasn't interested in compromise. Um, he also smoked 18 cigars a day um, and ultimately dies from throat cancer as a result of it. Um, Grant, as a military figure, is not politically experienced, um, but he's highly respected. And then, of course, we've seen throughout the history of the U.S. the pattern of political parties turning to military figures in times of like some distrust of the political system, and this is no different. Um, but the story of Grant and really of about the next five presidents in many ways is about what happens when you suddenly have a government that's way more powerful. Because under the Civil War, the whole relationship between the people and the government had to change. You have the first draft under the Civil War, you have the first income tax, but you also just have a relationship between the government and business, building railroads, um, you know, arming and feeding and clothing huge military forces, and, you know, having to take extraordinary measures, probably the most notable of which is the Emancipation Proclamation, but all sorts of military necessity actions that show that when the government wants to do something, um, it can. And big departments of government that didn't exist are created. And so this huge machine, which is created under Lincoln, is now kind of in place for these next few presidents. And what happens is they become very corrupt very quickly. And no one um, really says that Grant himself was a corrupt man, but his administration was known for being incredibly corrupt. Um, and for years, he has been kind of uh, vilified for that reason. I think it's important to state that he had a pretty strong commitment to civil rights. And as him coming in after Johnson, he oversaw you know, much of the attempts to keep the racial progress going in the South, and his personal commitment to that shouldn't be questioned. Um, but the number of scandals that happen within his administration are just unbelievable. Um, many members of his cabinet turn out to have been involved in money-making systems. And of course, this is like a combination of like doing favors for different people, helping them. They give you some money, you give them jobs, but also like questionable relationships to banks and to um, companies. And there's a big scandal called the Credit Mobilier scandal that involves basically some of the highest members of the Grant administration enriching themselves off of uh, government information and contracts. Um, so... You know, the Grant administration, not only in being corrupt, um, fails to use a lot of that money to help with things, but it also makes people way more distrustful of the ability of government to actually successfully carry out um, reconstruction. And why was his administration so bad? Did he just, like, not have the connections like the political experience to choose good people? No, I mean, I think, I think this is what happens, unfortunately, 
um, whenever a group of people have basically unchecked power. And the Republicans had controlled Congress now with basically no one challenging them um, for so many years that there just wasn't a lot of pressure um, to prevent this. And, you know, there's also still this sense since Andrew Jackson that part of the job of the president is to help their followers or the job of an administration is to help people who help get them elected get jobs. It's called the spoil system. And so much of the first 50 years after the Civil War is about America as now an enormous government trying to figure out how do you dole out all of these jobs without it turning into deep corruption. And so there's there's a sense of inevitability to it, but I think there is also a sense that if Grant had been more politically experienced and more um, morally centered, I, I, it's not that he wasn't morally centered, but if you could have had a leader who was both, someone like Lincoln, maybe they would have found a way to, to deal with this. Although Lincoln himself was certainly not above the spoils system. If you see the movie Lincoln about the 13th Amendment, so much of it is about him buying people's votes through different strategies, which are often like, oh, I'll make you the postmaster of this small town. I'll help you do this. Mm. So um, people in both the North and the South are pretty disgusted by the level of corruption under Grant. And that also makes them weary and questioning of the ability of the government to carry out reconstruction. And so at the end of Grant's two terms, there's a uh, we now have a situation in which the southern states, many of them have been readmitted to the union, and the Democrats are now a powerful enough party through a combination of some of these southern states that have returned and through northerners who are pretty turned off by the Republicans that they have the chance to win the White House. Um, and they run a guy named Samuel Tilden, who is a highly respected New York um politician uh, and newspaper um, editor. So, so Tilden runs um, against Rutherford B. Hayes, who was a, a um, general in the Civil War. Hayes is a general for the North in the Civil War, so he's a Republican. And Tilden is a New Yorker. And the idea is, okay, so he's from New York, which, as you know, is often the state that's been most um, sympathetic to the South in some ways. Um, you know, they considered seceding themselves at one point, and that's where the draft riots that we talked about occurred. Um, and so, okay, let's combine New York with these Southern states and maybe we'll win. And Tilden gets more votes than Rutherford Hayes. Um, no one's questioning that. The question comes down to the Electoral College, um, where there's a dispute over which of the Southern states should be counted. Um, and there are allegations of pretty serious fraud on both sides. Um, on the Southern side, there's the Ku Klux Klan um, actively suppressing and using violence to prevent black voters. Um, and there are also laws that have started to be put in place to prevent blacks from voting. Um, on the side of the North, there's the fact that the military is still in control of many of these areas. And so um, there's questions about whether they were accurately counting the votes. And there's also questions of like which of these electoral college votes should actually be counted from which states. But it comes down... Black people were primor primarily voting for... Um, oh, they're not voting for Democrats. 
Yeah. Right? So they would be voting for... Hayes. Hayes, yeah. But how many of those states should actually go for Hayes? You know, how many of them actually have a majority black population um, is clearly up for grabs. And I think most historians would say if you really counted the votes, Tilden wins. But that's not what happened um, in the Electoral College. Um, they had a long dispute about how to count these votes. And the decision they come to in a backroom deal, and they ultimately, the House creates a commission with like half Democrats and half Republicans, but the Republicans have the tie-breaking vote. And what they decide is Hayes is going to be the president. We're going to award all of the Electoral College votes that are in dispute to him. And if you don't award all of them, he doesn't win. But in return, he promises to pull the military out of the South and to basically end Reconstruction. Um, and I'm sure they were very excited to hold on to the presidency and the idea of a Democrat, even a New York Democrat, being in control of the White House just 11 years after the end of the Civil War does feel pretty crazy and scary. But it's clear that the South gets the better end of the deal because this is the end of Reconstruction. And James W. Lowen, who's a great critical historian, says the way we should tell this story is that the South won the Civil War in 1876, in the year that Rutherford Hayes becomes president. Because if Reconstruction had continued, like, what could have changed? What would be better? Well, maybe none of segregation would have happened. Maybe, um, yeah, the Jim Crow laws wouldn't have been passed. Maybe the KKK wouldn't have been able to terrorize and murder people for another almost 100 years. Um, You know, in terms of race relations, we don't get back to a place where blacks are able to serve in Congress until, at least not in the South, until the 1960s. Why did the Republicans make this deal? It seems like a bad deal. Yeah. <laughs> like they, why didn't they just be like, we'll retain power in Congress even if we don't have the presidency? It's a good question. I, I think the Republicans are still in control of Congress, but um, they definitely don't have the ability to override a veto the way that they did earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the deeper answer, it would be nice to think that this is just a strategic move that they blundered, but I, I also think that um, many white people in the North had basically come to the conclusion that it wasn't worth it to, to fight this. They were becoming interested in having business move forward, and they were still pretty racist. And, and, and they became, um, you started to hear liberal newspapers and magazines in the North starting to talk about blacks as inherently inferior, unable to truly be voters. And so as those arguments are like being more mainstreamed, you know, uh, there's actually a lot of sympathy for the South. And, it, in, you know, you can make the argument that basically this deal with the devil is what it took to bring the South back into the Union. Um, but it's a pretty terrible cost. The North starts to buy into this other way of talking about it. This story that says that actually the South didn't fight for slavery. The South fought for its ideals uh, and for states' rights and for a way of life. All of which, if you really scratch under the surface, are just a different way of saying slavery. That story, that propaganda, comes to be called the lost cause. Mm -hmm. And you start to see around this time these events where Confederate soldiers and Union soldiers come back together on the battlefields and like shake hands. And 
it's this kind of like everything's good now, guys. Like we're all we're all friends again, um, which again, it's it is sort of incredible that after going down and burning Atlanta to the ground, um, you know, those states come back into the country and um, end up being pro-American again. But right. that's because much of the way of life that they really want, which is a white supremacist society, is allowed to to stay in place. And Jim Crow is the second form of slavery. <laughs>